Welcome back to Pro Mum. I thought what better way to celebrate International Women's Day than to speak to a woman who, despite adversity, is happily juggling top positions at Omnicom UK, three children and various other positions, including sector champion for disability in government. Today I'm speaking to Sam Phillips. Here's what she had to say about how she does it. back to Pro Mom. Today I have Sam Phillips with me. Um, her career has been at JWT, TBWA, um, ITV and Time Inc. You now find yourself as CMO of Omnicom Media Group UK, Chair of Open Omnicom um, UK. Um, you're the Assistant Dean of Omnicom University and I mean the list the list goes on and then outside of um, that you're like our sector champion for advertising in terms of diversity for the government for disability for yes. disability yep and a member of women in advertising and communications I need to take a deep breath because that's a lot of things um, so welcome thank you so much for speaking to me today um, I guess the first thing is is how do you do all of those roles in Omnicom, outside of Omnicom, and have three children? <laughs> well, uh, the first thing to say is I quite enjoy uh, the variety, uh, mm. and uh, I am a sort of, I guess, a devotee of the maxim, if you want a job done, give it to a busy woman. Um, but uh, I genuinely have found, if I think of through the work lens, that sort of uh, the more I do, the more roles I take on, the bigger my network grows, the more people I know, the more people I can call upon or take shortcuts to in terms of uh, making something uh, happen and having ideas because my brain is uh, germinating all the time. Um, in terms of uh, how I uh, juggle work with my uh, home life, um, it is uh, a constant uh ever ongoing challenge uh, and what I do is I choose to look at that as sort of some giant uh, jigsaw that just needs to be worked through and constantly juggled uh, so uh, I make it work but I also want to be really clear that I don't do this by myself and I think that is one of the myths that uh, women and women, especially before they have children, think. They think, how can I possibly? Because my, my job, my life is already very full and overflowing. I'm already really busy. So how am I going to do all the, uh, uh, the child-rearing stuff as well? So one of the things that I'm very clear about and I say proudly to people is I have help. Yeah. Uh, because if I did not have help at home, uh, I couldn't possibly... Uh, pride myself on uh, bringing my children out really well and I couldn't possibly uh, deliver in the workplace as I uh, want to do. And if you told the younger, the teenage me, uh, that I would have uh, an after-school nanny uh, and a housekeeper, uh, I would have probably uh, laughed till I uh, had no more tears to shed. Uh, but the realities of my life have meant that that is the choice that I have taken. So uh, I'm a mother of three children. Uh, my eldest child has Down syndrome and uh, needs a vast amount of one-on-one -on -one, uh, attention. Uh, that uh, means I have to have a nanny, plus also my youngest child is only nine, so that would be, there's no choice there. 
Um, and in terms of a, a housekeeper, someone has to keep the home fires burning, has to keep the, <laughs> the joint clean, has to keep the meals cooked, has to make sure that the kids get the right things in their school bags to go to school the next day because they're all at three different schools. Uh, oh, wow. So the logistics of that are enormous. And a lot of the organisation of the home still does fall on my shoulders as the mother, but it, it will be impossible for it all to fall uh, on my shoulders. So... I have the most extraordinary uh, team uh, of uh, a nanny and a uh, housekeeper who are actually a married couple. Oh, really? Uh, So the communications between them and between the three of us are superb, uh, and it just works, and that enables absolutely everything to happen, and it enables me to come to work with joy in my steps knowing that everything is going to be taken care of brilliantly and if it's not I'm going to be in the loop straight away so uh, get a team of people uh, around you uh, who can help support you because life is not a solo act yeah wow that's I mean the fact that they're a couple as well is really really handy and um, how did you go about selecting them like yeah. You're like, ah, that's a um, so so uh, when I've had uh, they're not she's not the first nanny I've I've, I've had but um, uh, the reason that uh, this lady Alison started working uh, with me was that uh, my husband uh, who uh, died uh, last year actually uh, he was very ill for several years um, before uh, after his diagnosis with cancer. And uh, Alison was actually uh, my eldest child who has got Down syndrome's uh, teaching assistant. And I had always looked at this lady who I've only ever known professionally and gone, I think you're really, really good. Uh, so when I was trying to sort out uh, the sort of things, my situation, because my late husband was, uh, he, was the, um, uh, he was the caregiver at the time. Yeah. He, he, he was in the midst of a couple of years having uh, adopted my youngest daughter he was uh, he was the stay-at-home dad and, and really enjoying it so everything sort of uh, fell over somewhat when we got this uh, horrendous diagnosis so I had a gap a very big important gap to fill um, not just in terms of the sort of uh, the physical realities of having care there but also someone who I knew would be able to emotionally nurture uh, us through that stage so my mind turned to this lady Alison um because she'd worked with uh, my eldest since he was about four, and knew him inside out. And uh, uh, if you've got a child with Down syndrome, they are extraordinarily rewarding, but do take a little more time. Uh, so I approached her and I said, would you possibly consider coming to work after school as, a, as our after school nanny? Uh, and she said to me, and she said, did you know I used to be a nanny? And I said, no, I have no idea <laughs> at all. I just think you'd be brilliant. And I think uh, you'd have a great relationship with the other two children as well. And so we carried on talking, and that's what's happened. Uh, and then uh, uh, when uh, the previous housekeeper uh, left, because I had to get someone in to cover for my husband, who obviously was unable to do anything because uh, he, was, uh, he was very sick with stage 4 cancer, um, uh, my mind kept turning to her husband, and I kept saying, I know I'm seeing these other people, but all I'm thinking about is... Uh, uh, your husband Hayden and I think he'd be exceptional uh, doing it what do you think so she had a think and she came back to me and she said we think it'd be a brilliant idea uh, so uh, yeah in, he came uh, as well and now they genuinely feel like extended family yeah. um, and yeah, they just make the whole thing work right. with me it's, it's, it, it is a team and I think life is a, a team game before my when my husband was still alive 
when we got married we used to talk about ourselves as team phillips and uh in a sense that's a little bit sort of sad sounding but i think that was genuinely our way of going about tackling the world so for us it was uh, never a question for example of it had to be me as the woman uh, stopping work when we had kids it was always a question of what's the best situation for our family and we just did not care whether or not that was going to be me or him uh, staying at home uh, or not and as it turned out my job was better paid so it made sense for that oftentimes to be uh, him yeah, yeah. Uh, running the home keeping the home fires burning and what what did if you don't mind me asking obviously what did he do um... so when I first met him he was in the army uh, just leaving the army he oh, was wow. uh, one of the youngest uh, majors they'd ever had in the army uh, and he was uh, just leaving the army as I met him uh, and uh, he went into private banking for a couple of years didn't enjoy that at all felt a real need to uh, to put back and as he said to feel proud of himself when yeah. he was going to a party and introducing himself so he retrained as a teacher so he was a primary school teacher and yes that was uh, uh, his, his last role because he was then, when he got the diagnosis, he was actually off being uh, the house husband, being the stay-at-home dad, um, because we had uh, adopted only a year or so before our daughter from uh, an orphanage in Russia. So one of us needed to be there because it wasn't just the usual story of um, needing, well, clearly, uh, a parent at support, yeah, yeah. but there is all sorts of attachment issues that come with uh, a, a child that is adopted and especially one that has previously been institutionalised so that was uh, uh, his role uh, yeah wow that's like an incredible journey for him as well in terms of you know stereotypes as well of those job roles for him then to become the house husband is is incredible mm. like uh, yeah what an amazing story but he was genuinely uh, a modern man uh, and yeah. uh, I think if I look at yeah, his parenting, a lot of this is, is cultural, it's what's, what's in your DNA. Uh, his father, uh, well, his parents are still alive and, and uh, wonderful, and his father was a policeman, his mother was a nurse, so he'd grown up with two parents doing shift work. Uh, and so his father had changed the nappies, his father had uh, cooked the meals, yeah, because that was how, it, so that to. was his role model. So for him... This was never a, a big deal. And uh, often when he was the only man at the school gates, uh, he relished in it. And he would do things like he would go along to the uh, uh, sort of the, the mum's Christmas dinner and he'd be the only man there. And uh, <laughs> they would love it. And I remember once he came home with this story and he said that, he said, he said this, this lady, he said, she came to, to see me, came over to see me. She said, God, you're brave being here. And he said, I honestly, I looked at her, Sam, and I thought, what are you talking about? And he said, what do you mean? I'm brave. He said, this is my work's Christmas dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a brilliant ability to, to engage with the other woman as well and to just laugh with it and to, uh, yeah, I mean, he was, you know, potentially a bit before his time, but it worked and it would have been lunacy in our house for it to have been uh, otherwise. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like he had a great sense of humour as well. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and so, obviously, you said about your daughter being adopted yeah. from Russia. Did you always know that you wanted adopt, to adopt, or how did that come about? Or Yeah, I, I decided uh, when I was a teenager uh, that I was going to uh, adopt. And um, I can't really say to you it was 
X that happened that made that happen. It's just something I I, I, I knew I decided as a teenager and I, and I, and I knew I was going to do it. Uh, my mum always says she's a bit like Maggie Thatcher. She's not for turning. <laughs> so I, I think once I decided that that was what I was going to... Uh, do I was determined to do it clearly slight issue haven't actually haven't actually found a husband at that point in time wasn't looking as a teenager um so uh when I uh, met my husband and we we met and we got engaged after three months and we were married just six months later wow and I wasn't pregnant um, uh we discussed it on our honeymoon uh and uh he was like absolutely I think that's totally what we should do uh, so actually when we came home from our honeymoon, because we weren't planning to start our natural family there yet, but we knew adoption would take a long time. So when we came back from honeymoon, we tried to start the process, uh, but the system didn't uh, accept that because you have to be able to prove that you've finished your natural family before you can start adoption, which is uh, oh, all based crazy. on... It, it is crazy, but I think, well, I think, it's cra- I think it's crazy, but apparently it is based on sort of the fact that there have been examples of people in the past who have adopted and then gone to have a natural family and the adopted child has been a bit left out in the cold so clearly yeah, we, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have done that yeah. and I think it's a bit lowest common denominator thinking but that was the reality so we were like okay then so uh, we didn't care whether our adopted child was our first child or our you know 20th child, child yeah. so um, we sort of put that on the back burner uh, went on and had uh, two boys uh, and uh, then uh, after a couple of years after the youngest was born uh, started the adoption process which took Four and a half years, unbelievably, ultimately. Oh, wow. uh, so, but we kept going and we sort of had the mantra of they can ask us anything they want because we are totally goal set on getting a, a, a child uh, at the end of this process and changing someone's life. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I think I said to you before, like, one of the things that really hit for me, which I think is a lovely sentiment, is that you feel like you can't change the world, but you can change someone's world. Yeah. And, and that's what you've done. Um, it's totally true. I mean, imagine if everybody in the world tried to have as their mantra that they wanted to go out of the world and leave it a little better than when they came in it. Yeah. We would have a different world and a different society, uh, a, you know, potentially a slightly less selfish society. Um, you know, there are... So many children in the world, if I just focus in on that, who, who do not have families. And the importance of the family is, I can't, uh, I can't put too big a, an import on it, really. Um, I mean, I, we, we ended up going to Russia to adopt. And in Russia, at that point in time, there were 800,000 children in Russia's orphanages. Uh, not all of whom were available for adoption, but a lot were. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I just look at that and I'm like, well, you know, if only, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I sometimes madly think if there was a law that said everyone had to adopt oh, one, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know that's not going to happen. So I, you know, I, I like to think that sort of uh, also, you know, it's not why I did it, but I've had various conversations with people who have seen what we have done, what we did, and have gone actually potentially I could do that and and have done something to move the world forward a bit yeah. as a result. Yeah, that's like it's just incredible. Like I can't even put into words like how amazing that is that you've done that. And I'm guessing was it the UK system that then meant that you went to Russia, or was it? Yeah, I mean it's complicated. My my husband was actually or half Ukrainian, uh, but um, there was a thing in the British adoption at the time. I think it's it's still there a bit, but less so. Uh, yeah. Actually, I did some work in adoption afterwards to try and evolve it, but uh, which was that uh, essentially because uh, myself and my husband were both white. 
and a lot of the children who are available in the British system uh, are not. Um, that we, it was kind of made clear to us that it was always going to be very hard for us to uh, adopt uh, in Britain. And now we didn't care. We would have quite yeah. happily had uh, a child who was from whatever culture, but the, the system cares uh, or cared a bit more. So as far as we were concerned, it didn't. It really didn't matter. I mean, if you think of our family, my eldest child's got Down syndrome. We've already walked down the street and people look at us like we're a little different. So it wouldn't have mattered to us if we had yeah, a, yeah, yeah. You know, a, a child of another ethnicity. Uh, but, you know... We, we had to look, uh, essentially, if we wanted to be successful with uh, the plan, which we certainly did, uh, we were advised that it was sensible to look outside of the UK. Um, so it came down to the two countries that were the most likely for us to be able to potentially adopt from were uh, Russia or the Philippines. Uh, and frankly, then it came down to a matter of uh, uh, ease and logistics, because Russia is only two, three hours away if you yeah. get the right side of Russia whereas the Philippines was a full day's travel away. And by that stage, we had two young boys as well. So it yeah. was going to be so much more complicated yeah, to go yeah. to the Philippines, uh, which is why we said, OK, Russia, it should be. Yeah. And so how old were the two boys when... Oh, well, the age difference is now... Uh, so Salula, my little girl, is nine, Ted is 14, and Max is 15. So it was about six okay. years difference. But it took so long to do the adoption yeah, yeah. Uh, process. But, but did they, like... How did you explain it to them in terms of your daughter coming? We are life? we are a very very open family. Yeah, uh, pretty much everything is talked about in, in in our family. I don't really put up barriers and walls because I think that that's a, a more engaging way to to learn. Um, so we talk about things in my family. We've always talked about the fact that we were going to adopt and one day they were going to have a little brother or a sister. Uh, and then it happened and we talked about it. We talked the whole way through it. We you know, showed them pictures, we showed them videos and all the trips, all that sort of thing. So they, they were looking forward to this thing happening and, and, and very accepting, actually, of it. We didn't really have uh, any uh, issues when, uh, when she did... Um, Right, but we talk about you know that given what's happened to my family, we talk about all sorts of things. So we we talk very candidly about Down syndrome and about disabilities. We talk very candidly about uh, uh, illness and death and whatever else. And and my firm belief is that if only we all talked more about stuff, because you know frankly, why why not why why not talk about uh, you know uh, disability or death or whatever else? It's very real and hiding stuff away and not getting it out there only builds up issues and problems and anxiety actually, and yeah which sort of comes back to think of like you know almost like it's a something that's been done wrong and nothing's been done wrong it's just life yeah uh so uh, my children have certainly been exposed to more of life uh than most uh and some of which has been pretty tough obviously but um i i would still back the way we've done it by talking very openly uh, yeah. as a family One of my biggest mantras in, in life is it's not the shit you're dealt, it's how you deal the shit. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's really true. And I think they are all very, very resilient children. Um, I choose to think of that yeah. as a positive. Yeah. Um, others could perceive that to be uh, a negative. I, I really don't see that because life is always going to do shit. Yeah. yeah, life will <laughs> give you blows. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're, they're all very happy children as well. And uh, that was my, you know, after my husband's diagnosis, and it was four and a half years until he died, that was absolutely what I was focused on, making sure when we came to the eventual other side, which was inevitable, that uh, 
everyone was positive, happy, not feeling that we could have done more, uh, yeah. and all that sort of thing. And, and, and I think we did succeed in that. Yeah, that's amazing. So in terms of um, maternity leave, how does that work with adoption? Well, I had to clearly look into that, um, yeah. uh, and I think uh, it may have evolved further since then, but at the time, uh, uh, well, the, certainly my company treated it, Omnicom Media Group UK were fantastic about it, and uh, treated it exactly the same as if it was a baby that was a my womb, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you like. So uh, the reality was I took only four months off on maternity leave, but that was simply because uh, my husband was waiting in the wings to take over and given the discrepancy in our salaries, uh, it made sense for him to take uh, over. Now, the reality is actually that I would have loved to be, have what happens now where you've got the, the more equality of parental rights being yeah. available, because for us, frankly, it would have made more sense uh, if he had done that from the word go, given I didn't need to breastfeed or, or yeah, whatever yeah, else. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm delighted in retrospect that that didn't happen, that I got to spend those uh, few months sort of one-on-one with her. Um, but at the time, sort of the, the system, the, the, uh, the, the law didn't work, that actually we could have it so that he could have done it from the word go. And I think that has evolved now, yeah. uh, law-wise. Um, so, yeah, uh, but it was a joy to be home. And obviously, of course, the boys were coming home after school as well, so I got to spend more time with them um, in that period as well. That's good. And what about with the two boys? Did you take full maternity <laughs> leave at that time? <coughs> so at the time, uh, I, I absolutely planned to... I was at uh, Time Inc, or IPC, as it was known then. Uh, I was there as marketing director of the women's um, weeklies. Uh, and my absolute plan was to come back to work after being off for four or five uh, months, uh, basically when I stopped being paid in full. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, then a few things happened. So first of all, my eldest son uh, was born uh, with Down syndrome, yeah. uh, and he was also born stillborn and had to be resuscitated. Um, by some miracle, uh, they managed to resuscitate him uh, and but uh, and he's literally he does not suffer the ill effects of that really uh, um, in any way that's discernible. Um, so we're just left with a Down syndrome. Um, but he was very ill in hospital for a few weeks, and then he came home. And uh, uh, obviously, having a disabled child is more time consuming, more appointments, etc., etc. Uh, just as rewarding. I don't want to. Uh, anyone off and disability yeah, yeah. Is, is such a real part of life and I genuinely wish we would all embrace it and because uh, uh, it's really not a negative um, uh, but uh, then imagine my surprise when three months after Max was born uh, I found myself pregnant again uh, with uh, my second child so actually the two boys are only 12 months apart so uh, there was very little point going back to work and and the reality was, I think I was the first person ever at uh, IPC Time Inc to take back-to-back maternity leave because I didn't actually have to come back by the time I could have left to have had the second child. That's crazy, isn't it? It is a bit bit crazy. Uh, So, and given he was disabled and given actually that my second pregnancy was not an easy pregnancy, probably because my body hadn't had the chance to recover after the first one. Yeah. Uh, what happened was I ended up taking uh, back-to-back maternity leave. So I ended up having uh, 23 months out uh, of the market, 
which was absolutely fantastic because I got to spend those first years of life with my uh, my boys. Uh, that said, I could not have been readier to come back to work when I yeah. came back to work, and I uh, I knew that I wasn't destined. I didn't want to be. Uh, the stay-at-home mum and I have got loads of friends who are stay-at-home mums and this is nothing when I say this uh, against those in fact I have a genuine belief that until uh, women stop judging other women for the choices they they make then it's going to be really hard for us all to progress Uh, but for me personally uh, being a stay-at-home mum wasn't going to be the thing that was going to make me uh, happy for the rest of my life so I knew I had to get back to uh, work uh, and the hardest thing about that, frankly, was having been out of the market for 23 months uh, and IPC timing had completely changed in that time and anyone with a marketing title had uh, had gone. Uh, so I was like, oh my goodness, where's so, my position? Exactly. So, so uh, I, I looked elsewhere and actually um, the opportunity came up uh, at uh, OMD, Media Agency's OMD UK group, uh, to go in and be their, I think it was group, new business and marketing director at that point in time. So that's what happened. Um, so it's a, it's a CV sort of that makes uh, sense in retrospect where I started off in advertising agencies and then went client side for nine years and then went to media agencies. Yeah. So because there were media owners that I was um, uh, a client at. Uh, but I can't tell you that was truly planned, that last step. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, so then I went back to work after 23 months uh, with a nanny uh, in place and uh, yeah, that's great. And that was actually, that OMD job morphed into the Omnicom Media Group job which has morphed into... Uh, the roles I play across Omnicom as well. So I haven't actually changed employer no. since I had uh, the boys and came back from maternity leave. And was that... Um, did you find any friction when you like come back to work? Into, I suppose pro- probably not because it was a new job. Well, friction in, in terms of... Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff in the media at the moment, isn't there, in terms of mums going back to work and finding it hard to go back to work and feeling that they have... Um, some prejudice against them in terms of being selected for work I mean I well I will tell you as I was absolutely bloody terrified uh, I can remember I mean 23 months out is quite a long time yeah, yeah yeah a lot of people 12 even nine yeah. six months are like yeah exactly and I was going back in uh, to work in a, another board position thinking how the bloody hell am I going to... You know, I'm supposed to be on the board, I can't remember anything. And that, that was borne out to me that very first day. I was shown my office, shown my computer, and I turned my computer on, and uh, I could work out, remember how to reply to emails, but I could not for the life of me work out how to create a new email. Uh, I, I literally could not do it. And I, Because IT and systems had changed. I think it was a different sort of computer since I've been off. And computers at home were not a thing uh, in in the same way as they are now. Um, uh, And it really wasn't that long ago. How long? About about 13 years ago. But the world has really evolved. And I can remember phoning my husband surreptitiously and going, darling, how do I create a new email? (laughs) And he was laughing at me and said, like, go to the top left and you'll see there's a new button. Press that. I was like, oh my God. And I was thinking, if the people out there knew that this new lady who's come in uh, couldn't actually create a new email they'd be horrified but so so it's very real coming back into work it it isn't hard it's one of the things I talk about with uh, any returners to the business that that, that, that are in my team is like you know don't underestimate this is hard and it's okay to ask about it's okay to do you know what I mean because part of it is about putting people um, 
uh, at ease. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And being again, being open about it. Yeah, um, yeah. Where's the shame? Yeah, yeah. There's no shame in the fact that I have all been to there for two years. Can all laugh about yes. it at some yeah. point? It's just in that moment. It's like, oh my god, I'm going to get found out, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's almost yeah. like the imposter syndrome kind of yeah. thing. Exactly that. Um, so where you are in your career now mm-hmm. and in terms of um, you're starting to do a lot more to do with like diversity and inclusion yeah. um, do you has, would you say your personal experience with um, with your um, son and Down syndrome has made you go in that direction would you say or played a big part in that because mm-hmm. you felt like through your own personal experience you've wanted to do um, more for people who've got a disability or has it just organically happened that way anyway or I think it's certainly been a contributory factor yeah. so but I, I, I also think when I, when I look back on my uh, sort of the last decade say I think I have done uh, stuff that would now come under like a DNI a diversity and inclusion moniker but there wasn't a moniker for it when I first started doing it. So, yeah. so nine years ago now, I founded OMG Ethnic, which is our multicultural marketing consultancy. Um, and the reason I founded it is because I spotted a gap in the market. So I, I'm Croydon born and bred. And when I went to school, half the people were white like me and half the people weren't. And yeah. that was what I genuinely thought was normal. And then I came into business and I'd look around and I'd go, this is a bit odd, isn't it? Um, and I had this sort of uh, thesis in my head, which was uh, having joined media agencies, which was surely if people are non-white British, whether that's first, second, third generation, surely they have a whole other set of media behaviours as well. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know, if you come from a, an Asian background household, you know, Star TV, Bollywood, whatever, or if you are a Pole who's come to live in London, surely you'd want to go on a Poles in London website rather than, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, traditional, all, all this sort of thing. Um, so uh, this is my thesis, uh, did a piece of research, won awards, uh, and kind of that's the, the, the genesis of, of uh, OMG Ethnic, which is now going uh, great guns and client demand is huge. I think it might have been a bit before its time, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it is now uh, very, very, very well positioned. So there was that. And then um, uh, when Omni Women uh, UK was, uh, came to be, so Janet Riccio uh, set it up uh, out of America. Uh, wonderful Janet Riccio and uh, she asked Scylla Snowboard to be the inaugural chair uh, in the UK and I was on that committee and then uh, I took on the chairmanship alongside Philippa Brown who's the CEO of Omnicom Media Group in the second year and stayed involved after that so there was another aspect clearly everything disability I started talking about disability um, on platforms that I had uh, maybe seven eight years ago first with huge trepidation but i thought no do you know what we've got to start talking about this it's 20 percent of the population and you know we're marketers what the hell are we doing just sort of you know they've got loads of money and they they're real people and you know so so started talking about this and actually the reception i got to it every time i opened my mouth on the subject was amazing and i thought there really is something here and now as i sit here it's impossible to believe that no one was ever 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 talking about disability but they weren't it's still quite rare these days but that that hopefully is, is is changing so all those things happen, you know, and I, I had, you know, on the disability front, I had, um, was, I guess I was in the rare position of having two blue badges in my household because, you know, as of about, must be about six years ago now, my husband had a blue badge and my other son had a blue badge yeah. and that doesn't happen often. So I thought, well, what am I going to do with this? Because actually, 
I feel a responsibility to sort of use this experience and change a few things and I'm in a position where I can. So if you put all that lot together uh, and I guess my sort of natural, I think I've got something inside me that just like, I want to make a difference. I want to, I think I can make a difference and I think everyone can actually. So if if you step up to it, I thought, what am I going to do with this? And so I started doing stuff at at OMG on uh, on the comedy group in terms of DNI. Uh, and until the point, until it sort of came that if any question was ever asked by anyone, client or otherwise, about diversity inclusion, the answer was Sam Phillips. <laughs> and then other bits of Omnicom, like DAS, for example, uh, got to hear about uh, what we were doing, which is all the PR, healthcare, etc. agencies, and they asked me to get involved and um, were massively supportive of this. And then, then it stretched out to being across uh, all of Omnicom UK's agencies. So it's one of those things that sort of uh, has sort of built uh, up because it's make because it makes sense for the business and it's the right thing to do uh, for the business. And frankly, I guess I'm leaning in hard because it's an area of passion. And I think there's another interesting thing here, which is that I've noticed a pattern of quite a few people. DNI DNI is a very nascent. Uh, industry discipline Um, it's not even an industry I wouldn't say (laughs) but I've noticed that quite a few people who are uh, going into the DNI arena are ex-CMOs and and I think that is because ultimately a CMO is looking at people looking at audiences and actually that's what we're dealing with here we're dealing with people with humans um, but I'm also able to look at it from as a businesswoman through a sort of commercial lens. So I'm able to look at DNI from the perspective of actually, uh, there is proven so often now, whether it's HPS, McKinsey, EY, whatever, that greater diversity leads to greater business success. Yeah, absolutely undeniable. Greater diversity also leads to greater creativity and greater innovation. And who want, who doesn't want that? Yeah, particularly in this industry, that's what they're craving for all the time. So, exactly. <laughs> so it, 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 it makes sense. So I can't tell you how delighted that I do find myself in the position that I am now. I am. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, my, my, my past, whether it's business past or my personal human past, has set me up well to now try to drive and deliver real meaningful action and change yeah. and anyone who knows me will know I'm not just about talking about things I do do things yeah which is brilliant um, so in terms of what would you say is maybe the biggest challenge that you think parents are coming across as part of um, your open work at the moment because that's obviously one of your segments isn't it yeah so first thing I'd say is I'm so glad you've used the word the, the word parents that parents are coming across and I think we should just stop and acknowledge that that is an evolution because until really quite recently, parenting was a woman's thing, a woman's yeah. problem. And it wasn't even really part of the conversation to think about the men and the dads and the role on, uh, in that. And I think that that is really key. And I think, you know, I could count on one hand the number of dads, uh, new dads, uh, within our broader organisation who thus far have taken their full paternity leave yeah. but it is starting to happen and one of the things that I'm going to do is put those dads together and actually start to you know, give them sort of the wherewithal to go and just have conversations, what it's, what's it like how did it feel when yeah. you were going off because you're going against a lot of cultural norms 
And how did it feel when you were off and your wife was still at work? And what did you learn? And how did it feel when you came back into the business? Yeah. And uh, all that sort of thing. Because I think when those conversations really start being active and happening, it'll be hugely different. Uh, the, the managing director, uh, well, he was then. He, he, he's now a, actually, he's now a sort of, uh, European lead uh, of C-Space, uh, Felix Koch. Uh, he was the first person that I came across with an Onicom who had actually taken parental leave. Uh, and he did it for both of his children and uh, I think that's just magnificent now but for him it was much more of a cultural norm because he comes from Germany originally and in Germany it's more of a cultural norm so I think what we're talking about here is you know, we've got a the, the society and culture has to change yeah. because there still seems to be this ingrained difficulty or is it you know, going to make me sort of marginally demasculinized or whatever it yeah. is, because people don't really talk about it. That's got to go. Yeah. Because actually, this is about parenting. And uh, it really, after the breastfeeding, etc., etc., side of things is, 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 is out of the way, I don't believe that it should matter whether it is the mother or the father. Yeah. I think what is important is the parenting and the attention and the love and the warmth. And that is not a female solo gig. No, exactly. How do you think we break down those stereotypes in the workplace? Because it's it's all very well saying, um, let's talk about it. Yeah. It's one thing it's one thing saying it, and it's one thing getting people to feel like they actually can. Yeah, I think case studying and role modelling is hugely uh, important. Uh, one of the things that is. Uh, on the long list of things that I'd be looking to drive as we move forward at Omnicom in the UK is a parenting um, uh, resource group, uh, deliberately removed from Omni Women uh, yeah. because it's not just a woman's thing, yeah. uh, a parenting thing. Um, so that will be uh, that. I hope will will change. But I think you know, just case studying. Like I said, getting together that handful of men. I know you know. What do you? What do you want to do? How can we take this forward? Yeah. And I think when more men start seeing more men doing it, but I also think there is a responsibility on on the women, on on the mums too, to be uh, saying to their other halves, who may or may not be men, yeah, yeah. Uh, saying to their other their other halves, no, do you know what? Let's share it. You know, why should it be made this off for twelve months? Because yeah. that seems to be much more than normal. You know, why don't we do six months each? Um, yeah. And and sort of talking about the sort of you know the equity. Uh, in that um, but it's, these things are deep rooted and cultural I think you know and I know that we experience this as well it's the whole sort of the next generation up so uh, you know your parents looking at you and a bit strangely if it's the man that's going off and doing yeah. the uh, 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 paternity uh, leave side of this I mean we definitely lived through that my husband my late husband and myself were sort of you know I was like well, well why you know it's not right yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that they, again, you're back to cultural norms and expectations, but you know we've got to start smashing through some of these, uh, and that starts at an individual level, I think, where people are going, no, do you know what? You know, if if my time was now again, and I was on my honeymoon, I, was, I would also be having that conversation with my Same husband again, that yeah, you know yeah. we'll split it, won't we? Because we're Team Phillips. So I think yeah, the, the, the slightly starts at an individual. And a corporate level, and I think we can help with that by by case studying and role modelling, and just giving people the option to think, "No, I really could do that. That could be me." Yeah, and seeing it in other people. Yeah. Um, so, what do you think 
is the biggest thing holding women back in the industry at the moment? Well, if I come at this from a perspective of Omnicom UK, we are in a brilliant position of having 48% senior female leadership across our organisation, yeah. okay? So uh, I don't, you know, that, 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 is, that is a fabulous stat uh, that I don't know of any other, um, you know, anyone else in our industry that, that could say that. Uh, that said, there clearly are barriers that you know, some barriers that women face that uh, men potentially don't. With yeah. some of the stuff we've just been uh, talking about here, um, and I think there's lots of ways that we're providing to try and help women uh, through that. So, uh, I think from my perspective, you know, it, it, uh, my message would be to, to, to women and, and to men, you know, don't hold back your potential. I think you know, say yes is my big thing, not yeah. no. I, for some reason, we've sort of got into this pattern of like, you know. To advance, you have to learn to say no, and yeah, I get it. But actually, my biggest advance has been because I said yes, and I put my hand up, and I was like, let's let's see what can happen. And and I met people that way. I learned stuff that way. I got the ability to put two and two together differently because I was taking on uh, more and different. That doesn't mean more, more, more hours. It means an openness of mind and brain to just taking on new opportunities. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. can I just do a really quick, quick fire? Go. You're like, oh God, okay. that was a, everyone always does this. I'm home for dinner. So if you finish the sentence, I'm home for dinner uh, every night, twice a week. Like, uh, I'm home for dinner uh, every Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Monday to Thursday, I am okay doing whatever my work needs me to do or seeing friends. Brilliant. Um, since becoming a mum, I... Could not be happier. Um, I'm happiest when I'm with my children. <laughs> Let's answer that one. Um, being successful means? Oh, having opportunities and being excited every day when I wake up. Um, the industry could help parents by? Encouraging men as well as women to own the responsibility of parenthood benefits both doesn't it and if there's one piece of advice you could give to a new parent trying to juggle a career it would be it would be you've only got one life so stop trying to box it into work and life and do the very very best you can and stop bloody feeling guilty about it that's brilliant thank you so much for thank you for speaking to me today was another pro mum podcast um, a massive thank you to sam for being so open and honest with me i hope you found what she had to say useful the music on this podcast is called good morning and credit goes to the composer audio binger if you would like to be featured on pro mum or know someone who would get in touch at promum.net